If you're a guest with us, I always take a moment to point out the gold insert in your service folder and uh, very much invite you to use that not only during our service, but uh, take it home with you as well this week. One of the activities that uh, my family has started to enjoy as the kids have gotten a little bit older is to um, explore some of the beautiful bike trails that you find in Minnesota. And what I found is that there are two feelings that we have when we're going to a brand new bike trail. Um, one of those feelings is excitement because seeing something for the first time is always kind of the coolest and the best. And so there's that excitement. There's also apprehension. Um, it takes a little bit of work to get six bikes together in a vehicle or in the back of a vehicle. And you're just hoping that it's worth all the work. Um, last year around this time, we went and checked out for the first time the Cannon Valley bike trail. Uh, you can get on it in Cannon Falls. How many of you have been on that bike trail? All right, so about a third of you maybe. It's, it's beautiful. An old railroad bed is what I understand is, is where the trail is, right along the, the Cannon River. And um, so my parents were in town, and I thought that it would be cool to go give this a try. And there's a lot of what UPS would call logistics around um, getting eight people to a bike trail and eight bikes. And so there was a lot of planning. I, I had to find uh, two bikes to borrow for my parents. Um, I, I needed to find how to, to haul them. Um, actually, Grant allowed us to use his trailer. Um, then pick a day, hope the weather's good, where do we eat, how do we figure all this out, the different ages, all that kind of stuff. Well, did all that work. And um, we put it together, I had the plan, found some bikes, found a trailer, figured out the itinerary, and we'd ride from Cannon Falls to Welch, eat lunch, and then come back. So on the way, eight people, eight bikes, were excited for the adventure ahead of us. About five miles or four miles into the trek, we stopped, and there's a picture up here of the happy crew as uh, we were um, riding five miles into the, the path or so. And so as we got back onto our bikes, I heard my parents talking to the kids, and they're laughing and giggling, and I'm starting to mentally pat myself on the back. I'm like, Ben, you did a good thing here. Ben, you did all the work for this planning. You know what? You just provided your parents a memory that is going to last forever. And I did. But it wasn't the memory that I had thought when that picture was taken. We went to Welch. By the way, it's 10 miles to Welch. We ate. And on the way back, I noticed that the giggling subsided. No talking. There was just sweat and grunting. And what I found is that the trail or that route was at least five to seven miles longer than what everyone in the group wanted. And so it was especially too long for two grandparents from Florida who will never forget the last five to seven miles and since then have never let their son forget it either. In fact, as I was going to get um, the trailer, Carrie unbeknownst to them, took a picture of my parents on a corner in Cannon Falls. <laughs> the truth is that we put plans together. 
we're never quite sure how the details, all the details will turn out. And that's really the story of life, isn't it? We put plans together. This is what we're going to do. It's going to be great. And in the midst of it, even if it ends where you wanted it to, the details, things pop up that just make you step back and wonder, what's going on here? Now, when it comes to the plans of God, this is true too. The plans that God has for you, first of all, I'd like to talk about the, the, the permanence and the, the, the truth about knowing with 100% certainty where the plan ends. The plan for you by faith in Jesus will end with you in heaven, with me, with Jesus, with all of us by faith. And that's 100% certain. And if you're new to church, new to God, and you're wondering about who God is and what he's about, that is at the heart of who God is. That his greatest desire for you is to be with him forever. And in fact, he wanted it so much that he sent his son Jesus to be our savior. And because Jesus is our savior, and we don't have to save ourselves, that is why it's so guaranteed. In fact, I love how scripture talks about this, and we've, we've looked at this phrase in past sermons, but in those areas of scripture where it talks about where we're from, our citizenship, it doesn't say will be in heaven. What does Paul write? Our citizenship is, like right now, you know why? Because it is certain that the plan of God for you will end in heaven because of you? No, because of Jesus. But along the way, in the Christian life, doing what God has put out for us to do sometimes in his word, there's difficult details that we run into. I mean, it's true on our bike ride. We knew one way or another, even if we had to camp out on the trail for the night, we would end up back in Cannon Falls, all right? But the details were difficult. Today, as we confront or look at Moses' life again, I want to warn you that God is going to be very blunt with you through Moses. And in a way, you might hear something that you would rather not hear, but it's true, so we might as well just understand it because it'll give us peace in the midst of the difficult details. And I believe, again, that that bluntness of God today for us will give us comfort and, like I said, peace when those difficult times come up. <clears throat> so as far as plans go, Moses had been waiting on God's plan. For how many years, anyone? How many years had he been waiting? 40 plus? 40? 80 years. When God called him with the burning bush, as you see in the, the picture there, 80 years old he was. He lived to 120. And last week, you saw that Moses' response to God calling him to lead, lead Israel was one of, I don't know if I'm up for it. I am not. And then what did God say? In two words. Pastor Steve? I am. Moses says, I am not. God says, I am. I am sufficient for you. And with that sufficiency of God, including the insufficiency of Moses, Moses, still apprehensive, 
has the strength to go and do what God had called him to do, to confront Pharaoh, to ask him to let Israel leave Egypt. And that's where we pick it up in chapter 5. Verse 1, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, now this is not an easy thing. The most powerful guy in all the world, uh, an aside, this wasn't the guy that Moses would have called dad. The Pharaoh that Moses would have grown up with in the palace, he had died, the Bible tells us. This is a new Pharaoh. Don't know what relationship Moses had with him. Um, you can guess it probably wasn't a good one, though. This is, takes a lot of bravery. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Not just hold a festival, but also the Israelites would leave altogether. Now, how does Pharaoh respond? Verse 2. <laughs> Who's the Lord? You can imagine the accent there just being very flippant. Who's the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I won't let Israel go. Pharaoh didn't know the Lord, didn't have faith in Yahweh the Lord. He also didn't want to lose about two million free workers, okay? There was a lot going on here. The Israelites were free slaves in Egypt for them. Verse 3, Moses and Aaron follow the script God gave them, doing exactly what God commanded. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now, let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he, <laughs> threatening the most powerful guy in the world, may strike us, you Pharaoh, and us, with plagues or with the sword. You can imagine Moses, all right, God, I'm following your directions. We're doing what you said. Now it's your turn. Turn Pharaoh's heart. Verse 4. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? He doesn't even acknowledge their question the second time. He just kind of moves past the question and says, you're, you're bothering me, buddy. Why are you taking the people away from their labor, the Israelites? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. Pharaoh totally ignores the question. At this point, Moses and Aaron, I'm sure, are fearing for their life because they had just threatened Pharaoh with plagues and with death, basically, from God. <clears throat> and things go from being bad to worse. Where's the worst part? Next verse, verse 6. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of the people. Before they made their bricks with straw supplied, and then built things. <laughs> now, you are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, verse 8. But require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They're lazy. They're talking about this sacrifice thing and leaving and all this. They're lazy. That is why they're crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. So let, let me recap. God has a plan. God calls Moses 
to be his spokesman, here's what I want you to do. Clear as day. Moses is reluctant. He questions his adequacy. He also questioned God's plan. I don't think this is going to work. He gets in front of the Pharaoh with Aaron, and what Moses thought would happen does. It didn't work. And in fact, now not only is Pharaoh mad at him, but guess who else is mad at Moses and Aaron? About two million people. All of his native people, the Hebrews. As the foreman here in the earlier verse go and ask Pharaoh about why are you doing this to us and things get linked back to Moses and Aaron. And so the foreman say this to Moses, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. Can you imagine? Moses is trying to do what God commanded him to do. He loves God. He loves God's people. And now they are ticked off at him. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. How do you think Moses responds? With a strong faith and trust. Verse 22. Oh Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. See, here's the thing. Here's the specific point of life I'm talking about. Not just when life is difficult, okay? We're talking today about when you do exactly what God says, and then... Life is more difficult. When you follow God's command, you're a faithful disciple, a follower, and still things are not just as bad as they used to be, they get worse because you're following him. Can you relate to that at all? I think we can all relate. I was talking to a a friend of mine this past week, and he said, Ben, I need a pep talk. And like, I haven't given a pep talk for a while. You know, you rah-rah. That wasn't the kind of pep talk he wanted. He, he's going through a challenge right now. Um, he's in the middle of divorce proceedings with his wife. And he firmly admits that part of the reason why they're at where they're at is because of his lack of being a godly husband. But since he saw how bad it was getting... He has done a 180, and I'm really proud of him as his friend, in trying to do exactly what God has called him to do. And he doesn't want his marriage to end, but his wife is at a point where she doesn't want to even talk about it. She doesn't value that marriage that they have. And through the divorce proceedings, again, has he been perfect? No, but I admire this guy, the faith that he has in, in being patient and forgiving and loving. And guess what has happened through his patience, forgiveness, and love? The lawyers have taken, and his wife, his ex-wife, soon to be, more from him than if he would have been mean and yucky and strong in that way. 
Or maybe it's a, a job that you know is going to cause a lack of godly priorities or even maybe compromise your morality and you decide to let that job opportunity go. And yet a year or two later, you're still looking. Lord, I'm doing what you want. Or how about a young person, a college student, who decides not to compromise God's plan for sexuality, but in that way, they can't find a boyfriend or a girlfriend because everyone else thinks totally differently than they do, and they're lonely. Or what about a family situation? There's an extended family member, and they are just rotten to you. And you've, you forgive, and you forgive, and you forgive. Maybe it's someone at church, and yet you just get treated like a doormat. And you're at a point where you're like, I'm just done with forgiving. Lord, this isn't working. You know, a lot of times we view God's plan for our lives as like... Um, a five-step program to earthly happiness. It's like the, the guy who wanted to date a little bit more, and so he bought, you know, uh, dating for dummies. And, it, you know, for first few things, uh, make sure you shower every day. Um, wear clean clothes. Um, don't burp in public. Um, open doors. And he does that for a week and was wondering why girls aren't just beating down his door in one week's time. We look at sometimes the plans of God as a formula for being happy in this life. But the reality is, while at times we are blessed in this life for following God, it is not this formula for always being happy that sometimes following God and doing the right thing, the godly thing, causes more difficulty, earthly speaking, than if we didn't. And so there's three things that I want to really have you consider when it comes to the difficult details of life. And the first one, let, let's go back to Moses for a moment. As Moses goes to Pharaoh and, and tells him to let the Israelites go, and Moses says, no, I'm not going to do it, would your feelings about that change if you knew that Moses had been told going into it that Pharaoh would say no? Would your feeling bad for Moses or even your reaction to his response as you see it on the screen, why have you brought trouble upon us? You haven't done, you know, what you said you would do. Would it change if you knew that in actuality, God had already told him exactly that this was going to happen? It would still stink to have two million people mad at you. But would you doubt God? Would you doubt his presence if he told you? <laughs> Look at chapter 3. We're still on top of Mount Horeb in Midian, and here's what God said to Moses. <laughs> I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them, i.e. the ten plagues. And after that, he will let you go. You mean 
You mean Moses knew this all along? Do you like having two million people mad at you? No. The yucky details of life when we follow God's direction and it still is hard, is that fun? No. Does it have anything to do with God's presence with us or his love for us? Absolutely not. 3,500 years later, that's today. Look at some things, and here's where I'm being blunt with you. Actually, God is. Here's where God's telling us it's not for the weak of heart to be a follower of Jesus. Listen to what he says. Matthew 16. If anyone would come after me, that is, follow me, be a believer, he must deny himself. That's like when you want some ice cream for supper and you know you shouldn't, so you say no to it, you deny yourself. You must deny yourself, take up his cross, this challenge of following or challenge of being a Christian, and then follow me. Jesus says that if you want to follow him, there will be crosses when you do. Next verse, here's another promise. John 16, to his 12, I've told you these things that in me you may have peace. Notice that? I've told you ahead of time so that you will have peace when the bad things come. In this world, you will have trouble. If trouble comes and you think, you know, God, you must not be there because there's trouble in my life for following you. I'm telling you, I want you to have peace about that. I'm telling you ahead of time. You will have trouble. I will be there. That actually in your challenges, you can know that I'm with you because I told you ahead of time. Or Matthew 10, we read this one earlier during his pep talk with the disciples. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. God's being very blunt with us today. And his bluntness is something that we need. The plan ends with God giving us the gift of heaven. But in the details, there will be challenges, even sometimes more, for following him than if we didn't. And so the, the first takeaway for today you can find on the screen, to help us deal with the difficult details is an acknowledgement that they're not a surprise to God. That nothing surprises God and your challenges for doing the right thing, the godly thing, those aren't a surprise to him either. So what does God have in mind for those challenges? Well, the answers to that are more than what we can look at today. But I wanted to point out one thing, one episode in Jesus' life. Many of you are aware of Jesus raising his friend Lazarus. Lazarus had been dead for four days, and Jesus says, come out, Lazarus, and he rises from the dead. There's a little backstory to that that happens uh, before Jesus even gets to Lazarus and to the town. In John chapter 11, Jesus learns that Lazarus is very, very sick. And look, look what Jesus does. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, deadly, deathly ill, he stayed where he was two more days. 
what would you expect or think if you were God and you loved Lazarus, what do you expect you would do when you heard that Lazarus was deathly ill and you could save him? Go in two days? <laughs> Go right away, right? Okay, next verse. Talking with his disciples in verse 14. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is now dead. And for your sake, disciples, I'm glad I wasn't there. Why? So that you might believe. Sometimes the only way that God can wake us up is through the difficulty, through the challenges of life. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, he speaks to us in our consciences, he shouts to us in our pain. It's his megaphone to speak to a deaf world. These things are not a surprise to God. And number two, God has a purpose for them. They're not a surprise to him, and God's going to use them. And finally, God gives us the strength to stand strong. Sometimes people see a strong Christian who something really bad happened to, and it doesn't even phase them, and they're wondering, are you, are you just naive? I mean, do you really understand what's going on? This doesn't seem to even phase you. Do you understand? And the Christian responds, yes, I do. But I'm standing strong, not because I have strength, but because of the strength that God gives me. Our bike ride would end in Cannon Falls one way or another. Our time on earth ends in heaven for sure, because of Jesus. And in the meantime, as we follow him, understand, some days it'll be harder than not. But God has a plan and gives you the strength. Let's pray. Dear Lord, it isn't easy following you. And the group that's praying right now, we probably are all raising up to you different things that we think of when it comes to the challenges of being a Christian. And Lord, we think that the challenge of being a Christian is so overshadowed by the joy and peace that comes with our eternal destination. We ask you for strength each day to, to follow you as you have called and the strength to get through those difficult times. All this we ask in Jesus' name and continue by praying. Our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.